bras and hoops, Lamar swoops, back alley cats, the back door cuts with alley oops, posting up, you on block or mic and booth, and kick it out to one who likes to shoot, oh yeah, said we merging them, got 50 with a surgeon, and some throwbacks like Snoop Dogg, with Magic Irvin, and some more in like Master P and Dr. Irvin, playing on how about maybe a little Wayne, speaking on bird back then, bars and hoops y'all, we hitting up all courts, but now with the sports talk, next we talk all sports, back to it. Got Jada and Jamal Croft, haters get crossed out, crossed up across all actual facts, points of view that you've never seen from your favorite artists like talking about Gerald Green or Gerald Wallace, whoever's on your favorite team, L I mean on the verse and still be great on the name for being H. Drake's opinion on space, one synopsis of Blake, tip on Horford's fate, the fact we giving them straight, the truth they shitting on tape, who sports makes for a take, so true or you can debate on who you really done rate, come through it really be great, the true the fact like a state, AAM on Prime 8, please remember, bars and hoops, the center of the hood, make it part of your agenda. Yeah, 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 y'all, what up? Bars and hoops, stills the great. Episode 5 On our agenda today We're gonna cover You know the current state of affairs in Nick land We're also gonna talk about All the Los Angeles Lakers for real You know we're definitely gonna revisit Last year's draft class The 2015-2016 NBA draft class The draft reloaded We're gonna talk about who's the bust Who's the real deal Who's a flat out superstar you know, we're also going to touch on what I believe the best division in the NFL is, the NFC East. And we're going to also shed a little spotlight on um, two of my favorite players, man, of all time, man, to play their sport, Allen Iverson and um, Michael Vick. You know what I mean? Just the 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 um, effect that they had on the hip-hop game. You know what I mean? But getting right to it, man. We're going to start with, of course, the current state of affairs in Nickland. As you all know, I am a Nick fan, you know, die hard, you know what I mean? And um, I've been listening to a lot of um, pundits on their opinions of um, whose team it is now. You know, I, I, it's a good problem to have, you know what I mean? Because once upon a time, you know, the Knicks were the butt of everybody's jokes. Now that we finally drafted Kristaps Porzingis, um... Everybody's quick to say, well, it uh, Melo should take a step back. You know, it's Porzingis' team now. Like, it's going to hurt his development. I don't believe that. I do believe that, you know, Carmelo Anthony does need to do a better job of, you know, letting the game come to him now. He doesn't have to play isolation ball. But, you know, habits are hard to break. Players, you know, it's hard to change a player after... 12, 13 years in the league It's not just gonna happen overnight And um, I don't expect it to happen With Carmelo Anthony overnight You know, I didn't hear everybody talking about San Antonio was uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard's team When Tim Duncan was still there Or Tony Parker was still there They had a system in place That was working before Kawhi Leonard came there You know Let the Knicks grow Let Chris Stapps Porzingis grow Let's not be quick to say, oh, it's his team, or it's his team now, or, you know what I mean, Carmelo's this, and the Knicks should look to move Carmelo to help Porzingis' development. No, that's the wrong thing to do, because they didn't do that in San Antonio. You know, they let Kawhi Leonard grow in that system, playing under 
<clears throat> Tony Parker and Tim Duncan, and he developed into who he is today. So let's give Kristaps Porzingis that same due process. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be whose team it is now. And he shouldn't be feeding into those questions of, uh, is it your team now or is it not your team now? Because he'll fall out of favor with a lot of his teammates and guys that paid dues before him. So my advice to you, KP, if you're listening, don't get into the whose team it is now thing. Because at the end of the day, you're still a second-year player. Teams haven't really developed game plans to just completely shut you down because they still have to worry about Melo. You still have to worry about Derrick Rose and other players on that Nick team. So, you know, enjoy your fame. Enjoy the attention that you're getting, but let's not get into the, oh, it's my team, or no matter if we're winning or not, you know, if as long as we're winning, I don't care whose team it is thing because you're, you're coming off as um, egotistical. You know what I mean? Not saying that you are, but it'll, it'll become that really quick in New York. Next on the list. With that being said, um, has Phil Jackson decided to take a step back? after the infamous team meeting that was reported. You know, this this infamous meeting happened about a couple of days before the Knicks actually went on that nice little run where they got back to 500. You know, guys were complaining about, you know, the triangle offense and people were saying that Phil Jackson was present in a lot of practices when he didn't need to be there and individually coaching players on the side. You know, which was kind of crazy, man, for your president to be in practice while the coach is trying to coach players. You're pulling individual players to the side, telling them this, that, and the third. You're giving guys books to read. Like, you know, your time has came and went, Phil. Like, if you wanted to coach, man, you should have coached. You did, you made it clear that you can't coach anymore. You brought in Jeff Hornacek. Let him coach. You know what I mean? The triangle offense is, is like a dinosaur right now. You know, guys like Courtney Lee have gone on record and said that, you know, we need to do more uh, conventional ways of things by um, playing against traditional or, or modern-day NBA offenses. Teams don't use the triangle, so why are we practicing against the triangle? Which he made a valid point. He made a valid point. So I think that, you know, it's good to hear that Phil is finally taking a step back, letting things come the way that they are. You know, you hired the guy, let him coach. Players look like they're a lot more comfortable, a lot more happy. They still run triangle sets. They still look a little stagnant at times. The offense does look in disarray at times, but they look good at times as well when they're not running the triangle. And I think that Phil should just continue to play his position be the president, get on those phones, worry about improving our team because um, we do need a, a big man <clears throat> to kind of help us on the boards. You know, Joe Kim Noah, as great as he was, his game has diminished, visibly it's diminished. His lateral quickness isn't the same anymore. You know, Kristaps Porzingis, as great as he is, he's basically a, a seven foot three shooting guard. He lives on the perimeter. He's not in the paint as much and it hurts us when he's on the perimeter shooting three-pointers and they're not dropping because he's not in the post to grab rebounds and that hurts the team and I think that we were exposed the other night by the OKC Thunder. Next on the list in the current state of the Nick affairs, Brandon Jennings and the Derrick Rose impact. 
You know, we haven't had this problem since, you know, uh, Mark Jackson and um and a guy by the name of Rod Strickland back in 87, 88. You know, the Knicks had two capable point guards that could run the team. You know what I mean? It seems like it's working pretty well right now. Brandon Jennings has definitely embraced the New York City culture. Derrick Rose is looking as healthy as ever. I mean, he's not the guy that's flying around anymore like he used to. Like he even said himself, the vintage is gone, man. I can still hoop, though. And Derrick Rose is definitely showing that he can still hoop. You know, he got outplayed last night against uh, uh, Russell Westbrook. You know, Russell Westbrook had a triple-double after the third quarter. But Derrick Rose showed flashes. He had 30 points, about four assists, and um, he held his own. You know what I mean? There's rumors and rumblings that the Knicks are ready to give him an extension, which is cool. I think that he deserves it because at this point, you know, Russell Westbrook was the main goal in 2017, but he just re-signed with Oklahoma City, and it doesn't look like he's leaving anytime soon because he's averaging a triple-double right now. He'll be a fool to leave OKC. And I think that he really embraced the opportunity of having his own team once KD made that move to Golden State. But again, like I said, Brandon Jennings and Derrick Rose have been godsends for the Knicks. Phil Jackson actually did a great job with acquiring both of those players. He probably overpaid a little bit, you know, but at the end of the day, it looks like it's paying off right now. Brandon Jennings is coming off the bench. He's getting... 12, 13, 14 assists. Like, we haven't seen that in many years, you know, in a Nick, in a Nick, uh, on a Nick team. And um, it's a good thing. You know what I mean? I think that Brandon Jennings is bringing something to the table, and he's definitely an insurance plan just in case Derrick Rose, you know, goes down with some sort of minor injury or wherever the worst case scenario may be. I'm not wishing any bad on him, but I think that he was a great insurance policy to uh, cover us just in case something goes wrong with D-Rose. Next on the agenda, the Los Angeles Lakers. (laughs) Yeah, the Lakers are on our agenda. Are they for real? You know, is Luke Walton really the truth? As it stands right now, the Lakers are are a good team. They're playing well. They're playing 500 basketball in a tough Western Conference. They beat some great teams. They beat Golden State. Even though they got smacked the other day when they played Golden State. But they're a for real team. They're out there competing. They're not looking at lottery. They have a lot of young players. They have a nice mixture of a few veterans in there to balance things out. And, you know, it's looking like things may be uh, all good in Los Angeles, man. I I had to take back my initial assessment of them. I, I didn't think they were going to win more than 21 games. But... You know, with the way that that team is playing, they're playing very well. You know, D'Angelo Russell has been missing in action for the past couple of games because of a nagging injury, but the team hasn't missed a beat without him. And I got to give a lot of credit to Luke Walton, give a lot of credit to Jeannie, Jeannie Buss, you know, Phil's boo. She's out there doing her numbers, and the Lakers are actually looking good. You got a lot of delusional Laker fans out there like, yeah, we're back up. Talking all crazy. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves, man. The Lakers are definitely a far cry away from, um, you know, being competitive or contenders, but they're on the right path. 
And things are looking well in Los Angeles. I can't take that away from them. You know what I mean? They're playing 500 basketball in the Western Conference, which is a tough conference. That's an accomplishment in itself. And I got to give credit where it's due. You know what I mean? Moving along. We're going to talk about uh, the 2015-2016 draft class. We're going to we're gonna basically uh, revisit that draft. You know, talk about who was the number one pick, which we all know was Carl Anthony Towns. But who's actually living up to the hype, man? You know, who's the one that's really shining in that draft? Is the best player still Carl Anthony Towns? Is it uh, D'Angelo Russell? Who is it? Who's the dark horse? Who's the one that's going to really ring bells for the years to come? And, you know, as it stands right now, man, you know, I can't lie. I don't want to sound biased, but the best player in that draft looks like uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis. By far, hands down, the most talented, the most upside. The only knock on him is that he does play like a guard. But let me not get ahead of myself. And um, let me just go through the... Uh, draft as it was back in 2015 okay the number one overall pick was uh carl anthony towns of the minnesota timberwolves you know the timberwolves they're struggling right now but towns is putting up nice numbers 21 points nine rebounds and one block per game you know but again the team is struggling and and they're not playing defense with all the talent that they have it's just not meshing right now and Tom Thibodeau is having a, a huge headache, man. I expected a lot more from this team, and they're struggling. But nevertheless, Towns is performing. The number two overall pick was D'Angelo Russell of the Los Angeles Lakers. As I just broke down in the segment before this, uh, the Lakers are actually a 500 ball team, ball club right now. They're, they're competitive. They're exciting. They're, they're definitely a good team to watch. They're young. And, you know, they're in good shape, you know, moving towards the future. You know, D'Angelo Russell is one of their stars. He was leading them in scoring at one particular point in time, averaging 16 points, four assists, and three rebounds per game. You can't ask for more than that. You know what I mean? From a point guard to come into this league, that's, that's, that's gaudy numbers, and that's an accomplishment in itself. Number three in the 2015-2016 draft was Jaleel Okafor of the Philadelphia Sixers. I mean, a lot of the things that were said was that he wasn't too happy about going to Philadelphia, and it looks like it, because the Sixers aren't any better with him. He isn't really doing what was expected of him. He's actually underperforming, and he's looking like a bust, to be quite honest with you. His numbers on a 4-14 basketball team is... 10 points per game, three rebounds per game, and one block. He's 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 definitely underachieving. He's not what everybody thought that he would be on this level. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm happy that the Knicks didn't draft him. <laughs> ah, next on the list, at number four, like I said, to me, the best player in this draft, Chris Stapps Porzingis of the New York Knicks. Uh, the Knicks are, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're a little bit below 500 with a record of 8 and 9. But Porzingis is averaging 20 points, 7 rebounds, and 1 block. And he's clearly one of the most talented players on his team. You know, he showed flashes of greatness early and often in the season. 
He's shown a three-point touch. He's shown that he could put the ball on the floor, giving guys all types of work, you know, off the dribble, in the post. But his problem, again, is that he sticks too much to the perimeter. It's like he's a shooting guard trapped in a center's body. But that's a good problem to have, New York. We haven't had a player like this in quite some time, and hopefully they continue to build around him. <clears throat> Number five on the list is Mario Herzunga from the Orlando Magic. The Magic coming with a record of 6-11. Herzunga is averaging four points, one rebound, and one assist. Clearly a bust for a number five pick. Typical European player that comes into the league. Hard for him to adjust his game to the fast pace of the NBA, and it's showing. He hardly gets any playing time at that. So to risk a number five pick on somebody that's not even playing is definitely bust written all over it. And, you know, the Magic are going to be terrible for years to come. You know, that's a draft pick that's wasted. Number six on the list, Willie Cauley-Stein, the Sacramento Kings. They come in with a record of 7-11. and 11. He's averaging four points and one rebound. Clearly a bust, clearly a product of a good Kentucky team that had a lot of talented players, and he was able to get over with the little bit of um, athletic ability that he did have. He wasn't asked to do much, and it's showing. You know, averaging four points and one rebound, and you're seven feet tall. That's that's bust material all over it. I don't see him getting any better. He plays next alongside of Boogie Cousins. I don't see him getting any better. He's a bust in my book, and he may be out of the NBA once his rookie contract is up. Number seven on the list. The Denver Nuggets selected Emmanuel Moutier. There was a lot of rumors that he wanted to come to New York. You know, he wanted to be here, but, you know, Phil Jackson didn't take the chance on him. We needed a point guard. Phil didn't take him. Phil didn't look like he made a bad decision thus far. You know, the Denver Nuggets are 7-10. and 10. Um, You know, Moutier, he's averaging 14 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. I can't say that he's disappointing. You know, he's a lottery pick. He was picked at number seven. He's doing decent in Denver. They're not bad with him. They're not really that great with him. But, you know, he's producing. He looks like he's going to stick around the league for quite some time. And, you know, it all depends on who they put around him um, for his development to really be to the fullest potential that it can be. Number eight on the list, Stanley Johnson. The Detroit Pistons, they come in with the record of 8-10. and 10. He's averaging four points, two rebounds, and one assist in limited minutes. Like I said, limited. He's limited in his playing time because, quite frankly, they have Tobias Harris. You have Markeith Morris. I mean, sorry, Marcus Morris. And he's basically the odd man out, man. They don't really need him at the three position. He's not a two. His handle isn't that great. And, um... Yeah, he's another player that, you know, coming out of Arizona, everybody had high expectations for him. He had LeBron James freakish abilities, his his frame, his body. Everybody thought that he was NBA ready, but he's clearly a player that should have stayed in college, probably would have benefited from another year. And as of now, he's riding on Stan Van Gundy's bench in Detroit. Number nine, the Charlotte Hornets selected Frank Kaminsky. 
Frank Kaminsky is definitely a, a blue-collar guy. You know, he's averaging 12 points, four rebounds, and two assists on a winning basketball team. And he contributed last year to the Hornets and their playoff run. So Frank Kaminsky is definitely a good pickup at that position, position number nine. You never know with some of these draft picks. You know, it could be a crapshoot early. But Kaminsky is showing that he's paying off. He's not going to be a superstar. He may never be an all-star. But he'll be a great role player moving forward. And that's what he's doing right now in Charlotte. Number 10 on the list is a guy that wanted to be in New York. But he was drafted by Miami. Justice Winslow. You know, the, the Heat are terrible, as I predicted from the beginning. They're going to be a terrible basketball team for years to come, and it's all Pat Riley's fault. They're 5-12. and 12. Justice Winslow is definitely not Dwayne Wade. They're missing Dwayne Wade. You know, they, they, they basically did uh, Chris Bosh dirty, told him that he has no place there, which rightfully so, you know, your health is first. Your health comes first, Bosh. Need to get your health together before you think about shooting any basketballs. But um, right now, the Heat look like it's Hassan Whiteside's team, you know, a guy that was fresh out of the YMCA, you know, about two, three years ago. Now he's the highest paid player on the Miami Heat. And it doesn't look like it's paying off because the Heat are terrible. Justice Winslow is, eh, he's averaging 11 points, four rebounds, three assists, and one steal. Pretty well-rounded, all-around numbers, man. I can't say that he's a bust, but he's definitely a guy that should have stayed in college. And, um, you know, he'll be a journeyman at best, and he'll be a great uh, role player for whatever team he ends up in because I don't see him lasting in Miami. Next on the list at number 11 was Miles Turner. Miles Turner was definitely a good player in college. He fell to number 11. I don't know how in this draft, but the Indiana Pacers got themselves a stud. He's definitely on pace to be an all-star. He reminds me of a young Chris Bosh. You know, he's averaging 14 points, seven rebounds, two blocks, and one steal. He stepped up into the rebuilding Pacers organization moved into their starting lineup as their center and he's putting up numbers he's a guy that you have to keep your eyes on he's definitely on trait on track to be an, a perennial all-star in this league and he fits the bill of what these new big men are in the nba finesse guys that can put the ball on the floor and shoot from the outside and miles turner is definitely going to be a problem again he's averaging great numbers like I told you before, 14, 7, 2, and, and 1, that's great numbers for a big man. And the Pacers got one, and he's definitely an all-star in the future. Number 13 on the list. No, I'm sorry, number 12 on the list, Trey Lyles of the Utah Jazz. The Jazz are 10 and 8 with that vanilla team. They are 10 and 8 in the Western Conference. And, you know... I can't say it's all because of Trey Lyles because he is a role player right now for the team. He's doing pretty well off the bench. You know, he's averaging eight points, four rebounds, and one assist. But again, he's another product of John Calipari's system in college where he had a bunch of all-stars together. And guys look a lot better than what they really were. But I can't knock him. He's in a league. He'll probably stick around the league. He reminds me of Jared Dudley. Is he going to be a superstar? No. All-star? Maybe not. Uh, journeyman probably so but he'll definitely be a solid role player wherever he goes 
Next on the list, at number 13, Devin Booker, another Kentucky guy for the Phoenix Suns. Right now, the Suns are bottom of the barrel, 5-13. and 13. They're underachieving. They're probably going to blow that team up because they have a log jam at guard. You know, they have Eric Bledsoe. They have um, Devin Booker. You got Brandon Knight. You know, you have a log jam. Somebody has to go because they're all young and they all want the ball and, you know, they all want to score. So they have to do something. But as of now, Devin Booker is leading that team in scoring as a second-year guy. And um, he's averaging 19 points, two rebounds, and two assists a game. And he was the number 13 pick overall in the draft. <clears throat> As a shooting guard in the West, that's a great accomplishment. And um, Booker's going to be a stud, possibly a superstar, definitely an all-star. Phoenix, you have some light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a very long tunnel. <laughs> and last but not least, at the 14th pick in the lottery draft, of 2015 and 2016 was Cameron Payne, the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's been injured this year. He hasn't played thus far. The Thunder are 8-5 and five or 9-5, and five, you know, after they gave a shellac into the Knicks the other day. But um, Cameron Payne actually was contributing last year for the um, Thunder in the playoffs when KD was there. So I, I, I would imagine when he comes back, he'll be a great addition to the team and he'll continue to develop and grow. You know what I mean? So that was the original draft order in 2015-2016. After some of the um, insight that I gave you on each pick, here's what I came up with for what the draft order should should have been last year based off of the performance that these players are putting on now. I'm going to start with the number 14 pick. And the number 14 pick would be Mario Hazonga. Typical, like I said, typical international player struggling to adapt to the NBA game. He's clearly a bust thus far. Number 13, Willie Cauley-Stein. Again, he was a product of a great college system filled with other talented players. He's also a bust this thus far. Number 12 on the list, Stanley Johnson. Like I said, he's shown flashes of being a solid player. But with the way that the Pistons rotation is set up at small forward, he's the odd man out. And unless he gets sent to a situation that can utilize his skills to the best of their ability, he's looking like a bust and possibly an overseas player in a year or two. Number 11, Trey Lyles. You know, he's playing in a good system under Quinn Snyder, you know. Um, you know, he's definitely a player that should have stayed in college. He's a decent all-around player, but nothing spectacular. You know, he may have a solid pro career, and, you know, he may eventually end up playing overseas or demoted to the D-League. Who knows? But, you know, he's, he's his numbers aren't or jaw-dropping. He's not, you know, he's nothing spectacular. He's just a good ball player. Learned in a good system. He's in a good system now in Utah. But at best, he'll be a solid role player, you know, moving forward. Number 10 is Cameron Payne. He's currently recovering from an injury. You know, like I said, when he comes back, I believe that he'll help the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, you know, he'll add to their depth. I'm not going to say he's going to be a superstar or anything like that, but he definitely has the skill to be a role player in the league for a long time to come. Number 9, Frank Kaminsky. He basically stayed exactly where he was selected. 
by the Charlotte Hornets at the number nine position in our book. You know, he's doing great things. He's playing his role well in Charlotte, and the team is winning. Can't ask for more than that from a draft pick. At number eight, dropping dramatically, tremendously, it's Jalil Okafor. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if it's just playing in Philadelphia or is it just that the rumors are true. You know, his motor wasn't high coming into the draft, and he's showing that. To me, he's looking like a bust written all over it. He has the tools. He has the skills. But playing in Philadelphia, the city isn't going to uh, wait, brother. They, they want to see results now. And if you're not bringing that to the table, and if you're not playing to the best of your ability, they're going to let you know about it. You know what I mean? And, you know, I feel bad for Okafor, but, you know, it is what it is, bro. You got to come into this league as a man. Can't be a boy trying to develop into a man. It's not going to work. Next on the list, at number seven, is Justice Winslow. He dropped a couple of slots. Yes, Justice Winslow. Another guy, college player. Very good in college. Very limited on the offensive end, but he does everything pretty good. You know what I mean? He's a well-rounded player. Plays defense. That was his forte in college that he plays defense. Tough nose, hard nose defender. You know what I mean? Didn't really come in with the reputation of being a great scorer. But um, he's a hustle man. And the way that his career is shaping up so far, it looks like he's going to be a solid player moving forward. At number six, Emmanuel Moutier moved up a spot. You know, Moutier is um, he's definitely not flashy. He gets the job done for a guy that didn't go to college. I mean, it's not a bad result for the Denver Nuggets. But, you know, it all depends on who they put around him to see where his true potential can really be. Because he's showing flashes of getting to the basket, finding an open man, and he can definitely score. And he looks like he plays a little defense, and he's very athletic, and that's all you can ask for from your point guard now. And he stands at 6'5", so he's at an advantage moving forward. Number five, he dropped from number two to number five, and that's D'Angelo Russell. You know, he's finally figured it out. You know, he found his jump shot. He's always been a big playmaker in college. That's what made me fall in love with his game when he was a college player. Just his vision as a whole, man. The, the kid, his vision is, is serious, man. And, you know, he's finally putting it together. And um, the Lakers definitely have one moving forward, man. I mean, I can't lie. I definitely thought that they were going to be a bottom-of-the-barrel team, you know, heading into the season. But Luke Walton looks like he's the real deal, and he has the team playing well with and without D'Angelo Russell. To me, he's going to be a superstar, flat out. You know, all of these older guards are starting to leave the league. You know, Tony Parker's the next one that's going to probably end up leaving soon. But, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell is going to be here for years to come. And I think that his game is only going to improve more and more to the point where he's a dominant force in the West Coast. At number four on the list, he moved up tremendously. His original place on the list on the draft board was if I don't if I don't if I'm not mistaken 11 on our board we have him at number four and that's Miles Turner you know Miles Turner as I said he stepped right in this season into the starting lineup last year he showed flashes of being good 
This year, he's shown flashes of being great, and the Pacers definitely have one to build around. You know, it's exciting to have a team that has a veteran in Paul George and a young stud in Miles Turner who doesn't look like he'll disappoint, you know, for years to come. As Again, my comparisons when I speak of Miles Turner is Chris Bosh. He definitely reminds me of a Chris Bosh. Inside-outside game, bulldozer finesse, and I think that he'll be a great player, you know, as the years, you know, move on. Next on the list, at number three, <laughs> and he moved all the way up. He moved all the way up from number 13 to number three on our board, and that's Devin Booker. You know, the Suns are definitely far from being contenders, but again, as I said, this kid can flat-out score. You know, he's been asked to put the team on his shoulders last year when they when they had a bunch of injuries. Before Eric Bledsoe came back this year, Devin Booker was putting up good numbers. I know because I'm a a, a, a fan in draft in uh DraftKings and FanDuel and Devin Booker was definitely putting up numbers last year. This year the league is on notice and he's still putting up numbers. So again, he's definitely gonna be a perennial all-star in the Western Conference and um yeah, man, the Suns have bright light at the end of the tunnel, but that's a very long tunnel in Phoenix. At number two, <laughs> at number two, I say it's Carl Anthony Towns. Yes, he was the rookie of the year last year. Yes, he definitely shows flashes of greatness, but his team is terrible. You know what I mean? He he definitely, um, to me, this is my opinion. He isn't the go-to guy on that team. I think that they need to really put the ball in Andrew Wiggins' hands and let Towns find his niche from there because what made him the number one draft pick last year was the fact that he was a role player in Kentucky. You know, there were a lot of other guys that were willing to hold the weight and carry the load on that team. You had the Harrison Twins. You had Corley Stein. You had Trey Lyles. You know what I mean? You had Booker and you had Towns. Towns wasn't the focal point of the offense, but he had the biggest impact on defense and he scored in transition and that's what made him the number one overall pick. I think that that same formula needs to be adapted in the NBA and you know, he's definitely not a guy that you wanna run your offense through. That's just me and my humble opinion. His skill set isn't there yet and I think that the best player on their team skill-wise is Andrew Wiggins. He's number two. And of course, number one, is the unicorn selected by the New York Knicks, and that's Kristaps Porzingis. You can't deny his skill level. Like I said, the guy is out there putting the ball on the floor, in and out, and guys. Like, he's hitting them with the in and out crossover, drop back, fall away, you know, threes, assists, rebounds, blocking shots. You know, the only knock on Porzingis, man, is the fact that he floats on the perimeter too much and that eventually will hurt the Knicks team because he's 7-3 and they need that 7-3 body inside banging. But again, he's only about 230 pounds, man. He needs to put some more weight on. And, you know, he needs to work on his post game a little more. He has a post game, but he just needs to go down there a little bit more and stop hanging around the perimeter. You're not Steph Curry. You're Chris Stapps Porzingis. And yes, you are number one on bars and hoops redraft order moving along next on the agenda we're gonna switch gears 
and take it over to football. You know what I mean? The NFC East, to me, that's the best division in football, hands down. You know what I mean? I don't. I looked at uh, the power rankings that ESPN has, and I'm I'm going I'm going to say this, man. The Giants are not the number ten team. You know, at an eight and three record. I don't care. If people say that their schedule was this, that, and the third. Dallas didn't have a tough schedule thus far either. You know what I mean? But yet they're number one because they only lost one game to who? The New York Giants. But that's neither here nor there. Let's go through the division team by team, and then you'll kind of understand where I'm coming from and why I say this is the best division in football. Number one on the list in the NFC East is, of course, without a doubt, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, they're in the driver's seat. Dak Prescott has been named full-time starter. You know, his numbers as, as are as follows. You know, 231 completions. For 2,835 yards with 18 touchdowns and two interceptions. Those numbers are exceptional for a rookie. You know what I mean? Hands down, he's rookie of the year material. But the crazy part is that, you know, he also has another person that can win rookie of the year. Will the NFL give these two co-rookie of the year honors for the first time in history on the same team at that? And I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott. You know, to me, he's better than Emmitt Smith already in his rookie year. And I know a lot of people will kill me like, what are you talking about, man? He's better than Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith is a Hall of Famer. But check out Ezekiel Elliott's numbers, man. Through, through 11 weeks, man, he's carried the ball 243 times. He's already at 1,199 yards. Let's say 1,200 yards rushing. 11 TDs. That is crazy, man, for a rookie running back. Yes, he has that great offensive line, but a lot of it is his talent. But he didn't run wild against the Giants. I just had to throw that in there. We shut that down. But what he's doing to the rest of the league is amazing, man. As a rookie, you know, they're definitely the team to beat as of now. Their schedule is going to get a lot tougher, you know, moving forward. You know, I just can't wait for two weeks for that showdown with the New York Giants, you know what I mean? In Meadowlands, in in MetLife Stadium, Giants Stadium, you know what I mean? That game is pretty much going to probably determine the uh, NFC East champions. And I'm very confident that the Giants will prevail. Next on the list, without further ado, is the New York Giants coming in with the record of 8-3. and three. You know, the Giants have won six straight games. And the defense is red hot, but the power rankings have them at number 10. They actually dropped after they beat the Cleveland Browns. Like, so what? They beat the Browns. They beat the teams that's put on their schedule. And how do you actually drop in ranking after winning? That makes no sense. That's craziness, man. And, you know, I got to give props to, you know, Ben McAdoo. I was killing him at first. You know what I mean? Like, what is he doing? They weren't getting Odell Beckham the Jr. the ball. You know, the defense was looking crazy, even though that's Steve Spagnuolo's job. The defense was looking crazy. But, you know, in due time, the team actually got it together. And one of the biggest impacts on this team is Odell Beckham Jr. During the six-game winning streak, you know, his numbers are as follows. 58 targets, 38 receptions, 556 yards, and seven touchdowns. 
he was only targeted 51 times during the first five games of the year. And, he, you know, he had 27 receptions for 359 yards and one touchdown. I'm going to repeat his stat line again. The past six games, he was targeted 58 times, which was slightly more than he was targeted the first five games. But the results are drastically different. 38 receptions, 556 yards, 7 TDs. That boy is playing like a madman right now, man. And you can't deny him, man. He's arguably one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I do believe that eventually he will be the best receiver that the league has ever seen. He's talented, man. You got to give it to him, man. The head and shoulders thing, dance fever, you could call him whatever you want to call him. The boy can flat out play. You know what I mean? And you can't take that from him. And he's one of the main reasons why the Giants turned their season around. Next on the list, number three, the Washington Redskins, coming in with a record of six wins, four losses, and one tie. The one tie is definitely going to hurt their chances of making the playoffs as a wild card team, but they've been dominant at home. Their defense comes to play every week, and Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins has definitely taken ownership of the team. I got to give it to him. That guy's out there slinging that ball like it was cracking the 80s. You can't deny him. They are playing better with him now than they did in the beginning of the season. You know, I guess he had, you know, issues trying to live up to the contract that he received, you know, but it's paying dividends now. And, you know, moving forward, they may not make the playoffs this year, but the Redskins will definitely be a force to reckon with for years to come. And Kirk Cousins will be the quarterback of the future for them. Last on the list, but not least, is the Philadelphia Eagles. They come in with the record of 5-5. Five and five. And let's be clear, nobody had any real expectations for this team, you know, when they first uh, started the season. You know what I mean? Nobody really had any expectations for them. You know, they got rid of Sam Bradford. They got rid of all of their players. They got rid of Chip Kelly. You know what I mean? They, they definitely got rid of DeMarco Murray. Nobody had any real expectations for this team. And... They have exceeded the expectations of the team with the 5-5 five and five record and a rookie quarterback and Carson Wentz, who looks like he's going to be the real deal. You know, they've stumbled the past couple of weeks, but the Eagles can definitely go into any stadium and win on any given Sunday in this league with the way that the parity is set up around the league. And I do believe that, you know, with that defense that they have, if they keep that squad together, they're going to be problems for years to come. And I mean years to come, man. The NFC East is definitely pound for pound the best defense. I mean, the best division in football. You know what I mean? And that we can debate that all day. You go down any division team for team and give me a better division, you know, from top to bottom. I don't think you can find it. What's another division? The AFC East? No, New England continues to dominate that division. What are you going to say, the AFC West? Uh, you may have an argument there, but again, you don't have a great combination of both offense and defense dominating in one division. You know what I mean? Like the NFC East. So on that note, we're going to switch gears, and I'm just going to you know, have a personal moment and talk about um, you know, a couple of players, like I said, man, that was influential to their sports, man, and they don't get enough credit because of mistakes that they've made in the past or they quote-unquote 
kept it too real. And I, I just got to give a shout out to Michael Vick and to Allen Iverson, man. Allen Iverson and Michael Vick were definitely two icons, both in sports and in the hip hop community. You know what I mean? Those guys, man, they took the, the world by storm with their athletic ability, with the way that they handled themselves on the court and on the field. I mean, off the field and off the court were, you know, separate stories, but they were very influential in hip hop culture. Back in, you know, when they first came into their leagues, respectively, you couldn't turn the TV on and not see any highlights with both of these guys, you know, starring in the clip. Or you couldn't turn to any video station and not see an actual hip hop video without one or both of these guys in the video as a feature. You know what I mean? They just brought a different swag to their professions. You know what I mean? The way that they dressed. You know what I mean? Even though, you know, David Stern put that policy in into play because Allen Iverson was at the podium with big chains, baggy jeans, and bandanas on looking ignorant, but he made a statement of this is who he is, and he wasn't changing who he is because he can shoot a basketball. And maybe that ended up hurting him. You know what I mean? The whole practice, and we talking about practice line that they, you know, kill him in commercials to this day about, and in different segments on sports outlets, you know, they kill him for that, but Allen Iverson is who he is, man. And, you know, we probably would never see another guy like that to come along in the NBA and do it at the way that he did it. He was a physical little guy. You know what I mean? He wasn't like a big, big guy that came into the league. He was a physical little guy that wasn't afraid of contact. And that comes from his background in football. And I hear it to the grapevine that he wasn't a bad football player either. He was another Michael Vick. You know, them Virginia guys, man. They definitely held their own on the football field, and he was definitely a talent to watch, both on the football field and on the basketball court. Moving over to Michael Vick, same thing, man. Michael Vick took the league by storm, man. Michael Vick was the actual cheat code in one of the Madden games, man. That guy get to the outside, man. You wasn't catching him. I don't care what you did. You wasn't catching Michael Vick, man. And, um, you know, the whole dog fighting thing, man, that kind of tarnished his career and kind of ruined him. But, you know, we're talking about a country that at the end of the day could uh, show more sympathy for a gorilla than they could for a young man losing his life by the hands of police officers being reckless in the streets. I'm not going to get too political with that, but let's always keep that in mind. And I really think that Michael Vick caught the raw end of the deal. What he did was wrong. I'm not com con com condoning it. You know what I mean? I'm definitely not condoning what he did as right, but I do believe that he should be on an NFL roster right now as quarterback. If it's not a starter, it could definitely be as a reserve guy. You know what I mean? But again, man, those two guys, man, I just had to go on my little five-minute soapbox to talk about my appreciation for those two guys because they did a lot for the culture that I love, and that's the hip-hop culture. You know, so on on that note, I'm going to wrap things up, man. You know, hopefully you enjoyed my segment today. You know what I mean? I'm going to leave you on this note. Life is all about love and hate, man. The key to life is making sure that the love outweighs the hate. And everything will be straight, baby. And that stills the great. Uno.